For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bienvenidos. Welcome to episode 36 of the Believe Nick Show with Matthew Miranda and Stacey Patton. Um, you know, I was trying to think of, of I like the number 36 a lot, and I was trying to think what athlete is the first to come to mind when I think of the number 36, and I just realized I don't think any athlete comes to mind when I think of 36. Are there any 36? You're not a huge, you're not a very big football fan, right? Uh, back in the day more so, definitely not, you know, about 10 years. There's there's two that come to mind instantly for me. Okay. But it is more of a football number, I think, than basketball or baseball. Yeah. Uh, so the two that come to mind, Westbrook, of course, Brian Westbrook, because I'm an Eagles uh, fan. And the other one is the bus. So uh, Jerome. Oh, Bettis. yes, Jerome Bettis. Um, yeah, back in the day I may have known that, but certainly not now. Um, but here's a little Nick trivia for you that we can hang on. Just like last time, I'll hold this till the end of the show for you, Stacey. There is only, in the glorious 75-year history of the New York Knickerbockers, only one man has ever worn jersey number 36. Do you know who this player is? I have a pretty good feeling I do. Yeah, go for okay, it. Guess now? Yeah, go for it. Is it uh, Ball Don't Lie? It is Ball Don't Lie. Yes, Ball Don't Lie. Rasheed Wallace. Props to Sheed. Still one of my favorite Knicks despite playing like 100 minutes for them. Yes, Rasheed. Rasheed you want to go in? <laughs> <laughs> Rasheed, 2012-2013 was number 36. I will still maintain, and I know, Stacy that you have written about that, and I think a lot of people agree with you, that if, if there's, a, there's a theory that if Chris Copeland had played more in 2013 – against Indiana, that not only would the Knicks have beaten the Pacers because someone would have been able to actually hit a shot besides Carmelo, but they really could have given the Heat some trouble too, um, stretching out that defense. I will maintain till my death that if Rasheed Wallace had stayed healthy that year also, he would have done something in the playoffs to win them like a game. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, they had Hibbert parked under the rim, right? Mm-hmm. So. Everyone criticizes Mello, but he was busy. Either his choices were settling for jump shots or running into a brick wall. Not unlike what happened to Julius Randle at Atlanta, but um, you know, obviously Mello was much more talented shot maker, so it didn't look as bad. Mm-hmm. But um, but that would I mean Sheed or Copeland. The benefit was pulling Hibbert away from the rim, especially since it appeared uh, Tyson Chandler wasn't a hundred percent right. So mm-hmm. it just reminded me. I've always wanted to either do an episode on this or, or write about it. But one of the continuities of the Knicks since I was a kid is that the Knicks best players I feel in my lifetime have always been athletically deficient to their superstar peers. Like Patrick Ewing was an amazing player. He was not an athlete on the level of David Robinson or Olajuwon or Shaq. Like he was not athletic. He had smaller hands um, he was not on that level. Carmelo, best one-on-one score besides Durant, maybe that I've ever seen. Um, you put him over Kobe. You know what? I realized as soon as I was saying it, I'm like, well, I'm automatically not thinking of Michael Jordan, and yeah, not thinking of Kobe. So I'm going to say non MJ Kobe division, non goat division. Um, Melo's up there for me with KD. He was not athletically gifted. He didn't. He had the hops of like Charles Oakley. Um, he wasn't LeBron in terms of explosiveness, in terms of just sheer athletic brilliance. He wasn't like that. And to a lesser extent, Julius Randle is not. He's not there for his athleticism. I, I pray for the day that the Knicks will have an awesome player who also is just like a sick athlete. Because I would say the closest they come to that combination, and he certainly wasn't close to being their best player, but Spreewell 
Yeah, was, I was going to say. You know, maybe the only time that the Knicks had that package of like, wow, he's great and he's athletic as the day is long. Um, and Stoudemire, I guess, for half a season. Yes, yes, certainly. Yes, Stoudemire, definitely. Um, and now I'm hoping there there is one guy on the roster who I think incidentally reminds me a lot of Amari Stoudemire that maybe he can get there, but yeah. Is that Isaac Hartenstein? Because we're going to talk about him in a little while. <laughs> it's, it's Isaiah. <laughs> I know we don't like to say the word Isaiah around. Uh, no, around no, you're right. I'm going to call him Isaac just because I can't do with <laughs> Isaiah. Uh, uh, no, I, I, I've been watching a lot of Obi Toppin, and mm. particularly just like how he doesn't really have a post game, but like just because of his touch and his ability to just yeah. shoot from awkward angles and his athleticism. Like there's so many times where we'll just like get to the right position throw it up and it goes in yeah that reminds me a lot of stoudemire yeah he is great he is top level athletic as far as next that i've seen um speaking of top level our partners at bet online continue in their relentless quest to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info find all the latest odds news and sports developments including this year's wimbledon finals major league baseball the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. So where the pod will start, I guess, today, Stacy, is um, I don't... Did we talk about Jalen Brunson? Uh, I don't think we have. I don't think we have talked since the draft, really. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, let's talk yeah, about the last Brunson. episode. We haven't even talked after the draft. I think the last episode we put up was... Uh, like right before it, right? Yeah. Um, so, oh, good. Okay, so let me ask you something. During the course of the draft that night, as the Knicks were lining up at 11... Um, was there someone that you were hoping they would take? Uh, there are a few. I mean, I did a lot of research on the draft. Yes. Um, of the guys available, I think AJ Griffin was who I suspected they would take because there's because of the pedigree, the professionalisms, all of that. Um, you know, he, he and and obviously like they love shooters. Um, the age. Um, I thought that would happen, um, and I would have been a huge fan of that. Um, when they took Usman Dieng, I was actually very happy. I liked Usman Dieng a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think specifically he was the kind of pick I would have taken because the reality is they have a lot of guys who already project as solid rotation players, which is not to say that they don't have upside, but you can afford to take kind of an upside swing. And mm-hmm. Dieng really, uh, you know, there's other guys who probably, you know, if, if all he is is 3 and D, there's other guys who probably are safer bets on that. But, you know, as a 6'10 ball handler, um, that's a, like when they took him, I was like really thrilled with that. And then the, the other guy I really liked, there were two other guys I really liked that range, which was, um, Jalen Williams, who went 12th to Oklahoma city, mm-hmm. um, and Tari, Tari Eason, who went, uh, I believe 17th. Yeah. To Houston. Um, which I, I love what Houston's building there, by the way. They've had a, um, their, their last 12 months in terms of young talent acquisition. I don't think anyone's been better than them. Yeah, and I mean, they've had a ton of assets to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I mean, if you look at, they, they have Shangun, who's like looked really solid as an offensive player, obviously has some shortcomings in defense. So surrounding him with Eason and Jabari Smith Jr. Yep. is pretty ideal. So that's mm-hmm. a ton of length and athleticism, and that's how you make it work with an, you know, an offensive big who's, who's not really that long or switchable on defense. So those are the four guys I wanted. Um Obviously, didn't work out that way, um, but I thought they got good value. Look, they didn't they didn't hit some home run where they got a ton of great picks. Mm-hmm. But three, like if you look at the you know graph value chart, three picks in the first round that are going to convey is pretty solid return. I know Milwaukee's pretty good right now, but three years a lot can happen in three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not even talking about. Uh, you know, I would never wish obviously anything to happen to Giannis. Um, but there's other things, you know, they, the, maybe Middleton and holiday decline, maybe, um, you know, they, they, the fact that they've sent out so many draft picks start to hurt them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a little more variance in that pick. 
<laughs> now you have three extra assets. Um, we really only had one with that Dallas pick, and you have three picks in what is t- supposed to be a very great draft. Mm-hmm. Um, that Detroit pick at minimum probably won't convey next year. Um, but the protections loosen. This, these, neither of these picks are like that Charlotte pick, for example, from last year, where right. the protections remained very tight for a long period of time. Um, so I think overall it was good. And then, um, you know, it's, um, I think that, um, and then the last thing is people keep talking about, oh, well, they did it to open up cap space for Brunson. I really don't think the 11th, like, I think if they really, um, if they really liked someone at 11, they wouldn't have tried to avoid paying that roster. Um, because we've seen that they, they had no issues moving a lot of these players. Um, I think that the 11th pick trading out of that was, I think, very separate from Brunson. I think that was just about, um, you know, getting more value, right? We don't think there's like a star that we buy. And like right here, there's someone we really like. They're probably not going to get minutes anyway. We also have to pay RJ and um, potentially Cam and then a year later, Obi and quickly. So maybe it's better to space space out some of these deals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that all that was the calculus and then they did trade Kemba um you know for four seconds right um but and and so you can say that was driven by Brunson but I also think they wanted to get rid of Kemba no matter what Mm -hmm. um because uh, at this point he can't really play him uh you probably don't want to create a situation where you're keeping him on the bench so there's a relationship aspect there um so yeah I mean overall I would give it a B um but um you know I think I think overall I was fine with it. Yeah, there was such hysteria that night. And I, I like, you know, I have that reptilian brain as a sports fan where going into a draft, I want the immediate gratification of, like, give me a young player to be excited about. Like you, when they took the end, I was very excited because I don't feel like they've taken a swing on a player since Knox. This front office in particular, I think, has made really wise picks, but... I don't feel like they've gone for any home runs. Um, so I, I was very excited about the Yang, but immediately thought that doesn't seem like their kind of pick. When they took um, Jalen Williams, I was super excited, um, just, again, from the, the, the physicality and the athleticism, and um, I really liked him in his interview. I knew nothing about him, but I was excited, again, that, wow, look at the Nixon. And then when that didn't happen either... Um, do you mean Jalen Duran? Um, no, no, no. Um, I might have been the only. I might have been confused by what was going on. There was a point where I thought the Knicks traded with the Thunder, and my assumption was that since they had traded um, the 11, 11 they, they got twelve back. Yeah, twelve. So then when they when Williams went, I was like, oh, cool, like great. Like they didn't miss. You know, they weren't going to take Dang anyway. And now they have this guy and assets. Like what a great trade. And then he's not a Nick. Fine. I think he's a perfect pick for the Thunder. Um, I would have been okay with one of the centers, um, either Duran or Williams. I would have been okay with because I would have thought, okay, they've moved on from Mitch. Um, but every draft, I have been immediately dissatisfied because I want, you know, I don't want to trade back. I want the best player, the, the name I've heard of the most. But every draft, Rose has picked up either more quality assets or more meaningful ones. I The whole reason you, you collect second-round picks is to do what you did with Kemba Walker. Like You're not holding on to those second-round picks because you can't wait to use those second-round picks. You want to use them to facilitate other moves that you wouldn't be able to make, like getting rid of Kemba Walker, who looked, com- I love the guy, completely washed last season. You got someone to take his contract. Like, good for you. Um I thought I thought they did fine that night, and i i don't I don't get into the usual the like oh the national media is unfair to the Knicks like I don't really buy that I do think they're low hanging fruit, um but but that would be the case for any team if the Clippers were still the Clippers they would be getting that treatment but I did think it was absurd the the criticism the Knicks were taking when it was obvious that they made moves that night that were not about that night. Um, and if a different, and you know what's going to happen, right? Logically, one player after eleven is going to be really good, mm-hmm. and then they're going to get criticism for that, right? Because yeah. that happens every draft. It's like you know they 
they traded out of the first round last year and then Herb Jones went at 35. So I was like, why didn't you take Herb Jones? As if he would have gotten minutes last year as if it was right. the same context. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or as if it's not really hard to like project beyond a certain point of the draft. Uh, and the Knicks have been good at finding value, but you know, um, mm-hmm. it doesn't always work out that way. So um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's fine. It's not some home run move, but I don't think, but you know, you now have three extra picks and those add up and, and that, that matters. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, I was dying during the broadcast of the draft because fucking Stephen A is, is making an ass of himself complaining about how the Knicks didn't take anyone one through 12. Like, you have to take someone one through twelve. Well, what did he first complain because they took Dieng, right? Him and Spike were just falling yeah, over each other. Yeah. First they were like, yeah. "Oh, wait, that his whole xenophobic bullshit needs to stop." I'm mm. honestly that actually like Stephen A can be embarrassed Knicks fans, but like that shit. Oh my god, they drafted a French guy. I know nothing about him, but he must suck. Yeah. The rest, bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. That has been going on a while with that butthole. Um. So there was that, and then I'm trying to find – I can't think of who his name is. The year that the Knicks drafted Shumpert, they were in, ESPN was interviewing Spike Lee right around when the pick happened or like immediately afterwards. And I remember Spike Lee was like crestfallen because he wanted someone from Florida State. Chris – I want to say Chris Singleton, but I'm not sure if that's a – Yeah. Yep. He was convinced. Like Chris Singleton, he, he – I mean, he was he was ready to just like – bury the Knicks again for taking this Iman Shumpert guy. With, but I remember he even said the name wrong. He didn't even say Chris Singleton. He said, like, I don't know, John Singleton or something. He got it, like, totally wrong. <laughs> um, is that the director? Yeah, so, exactly. Boys, Boys in the yeah. Hood, some other things. Um, so so first I'm just like, God, get Stephen A off my screen. Get, get Spike Lee off my screen. And then Stephen A is freaking out about, still to this day, the Knicks – not taking Donovan Mitchell, taking Frank Nilekina. You know where Donovan Mitchell went? Thirteenth. So, can you stop? And Stephen A. wasn't talking. Like there is a clip actually. There's a clip of right after the draft him complaining about Nilekina. Of course, just because he's French, right? Right, right, right. And the, he's like the alternatives. You could have had Dennis Smoot Jr. You could have had Malik Monk. <laughs> you could have had um, the third guy he mentioned was Zach Collins, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, those were the guys he did not. He did not mention Donovan Mitchell. Uh-huh. Um, incidentally, 14th pick in that draft was Bam Adebayo. Uh, he didn't mention either of those guys. Uh-huh. I personally will say I Frank wasn't my top choice. I wanted Malik Monk. I really mm-hmm. loved Malik Monk. I still really like him I a did, lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it, like no, none of us knew, right? Uh, I think there were people who had Donovan Mitchell high, like top five, but Stephen A and the mainstream media were not some of them. The people I know that had him were like deep draft Twitter people. So. Mm-hmm. I remember doing I, – I did a, another prospect on Mitchell that year, and all the talk was that the only way he was a candidate for the Knicks, there was talk that they might trade down with Portland. Um, but that was the only discussion of Mitchell was if they were trading down. Nobody had him. Like, that's what you're saying. Other than, like, really, like, buried in the weeds kind of draft Knicks, nobody had that guy going eighth. I remember I remember that year being, being very – every year there's someone I've wanted – and that was the only year that between Frank, Monk, I loved Monk, and Dennis Smith, I was like torn between the three of them and just resigned myself to like, well, you know what? Whichever one the Knicks get, he'll be good. And of course, here we are. Um, but I couldn't handle that in the draft. And I, again, respect uh, Leon Rose for how he works because, once again, come out of the draft and then free agency hits and all of a sudden. And this was something that I thought is – for me, a very nice um, feather in the cap of this front office and something that distinguishes it from a, 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 a long number now of Nick front offices. The Knicks identified a player that they wanted. Everybody in the league knew the Knicks wanted this player. Um, the player's incumbent team wanted to keep the player. The Knicks did what they had to to make an offer that was so appealing to the player that he didn't even meet with his old team to discuss. He just wrote the Knicks, and the Knicks didn't overpay. The Knicks paid, I would say, a, a fair market deal for a good above-average point guard. Um, 
normally in the past, either a name is linked with the Knicks and it's a Grant Hill kind of thing or, or you know, you, you think of it and it's, it's not going to happen. I don't think anyone would have been shocked if this had ended with Brunson either going back to Dallas on a good deal. The moment I heard Riley was interested, I was like, shit, like, you can see that happening. But the Knicks identified who they wanted. They got him. They did not overpay. And, again, I think it's lazy. I, I do think there's a – it's lazy because if you're, if you're not covering one team specifically, there's only so much you can know about them. But the idea that Brunson somehow – people talk about this. Like the Knicks gave a max deal to Jalen Brunson, and they, they gave a, a market value fair contract for a starting point guard who's immediately the best one on the team. I don't know how anybody has a problem with that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, um, it's a few things, right? One, um, everyone is like, this is your big move. This is your all in, which is, no, that's why they added more draft picks. That's why they've added more assets. Then it's like the top line number, 100 mil. You're paying 100 mil to um, Brunson and Julius Randle each, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But Randle's movable. And I mean, Brunson's being paid like the 45th best player. Um, To get a a 25-year-old player in his prime, you do have to pay up. That's just a fact. Uh, that's why the Knicks had to overpay with Tim Hardaway Jr. So at that point, you're um, you're betting on you're betting on upside to some extent, um, and that's really what you have to. So I think Brunson gives you a good combination where he's a high floor player, right? We know this guy can score efficiently. Uh, he's not a good defender, but we know he can run an offense. You know, he had a three to one assist to turnover ratio. Um, one of the crit- criticisms I don't get is like, it's not a flashy signing. It's not a sexy sign. If you watch the guy play, watch his handles, right? right? He's, he's, he's got the craziest handles for a player we've had since, uh, I mean, Baron Davis was kind of washed when he got here, but that's the player that comes to mind for me yeah. or Marbury. Like that's the level of ball handler. This guy is extremely crafty scorer. Um, and, and like now you can let him loose. Like he, and there, I think there is upside because he's been extremely efficient despite the fact that he doesn't take a whole lot of pull-up threes and teams do go under and he's still willing to attack and he's still pretty good at it. But if he can up that three-point volume, there's an all-star upside there. Um, and um, this is exactly the kind of move you want to make. And um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a home run signing. And I think another, another couple of benefits to it, and I'm going to add, uh, I think the last Nick who was actually a meaningful player in a rotation for them who could dribble this well was probably Jamal Crawford. Um, yeah, that's a good call. And, and and that's that's about it. They don't have people like that generally. So I think on other reasons, you know, not only is, it, is he a high-floor player, but the Knicks in the past sometimes have been guilty of signing, spending a lot of money on players whose skills uh, are redundant or overlap with other players. that They don't compound. So when you sign... Jalen Brunson, not only are you getting, okay, he is in a vacuum better than any of your other point guards, probably all their guards, but like you said, the fact that he is willing to and able to keep getting to the basket even when defenses are stacked against it and finish efficiently while he's in that mid-range and and area, that's going to open up wider three-pointers for R.J. Barrett. Um, The more looks... The more open looks Barrett gets from deep, assuming he continues to progress the way that he has, that's just going to raise his efficiency as a player. Randall doesn't have to be the exclusive, not that he had to be, but I think it will be easier for Randall to give the ball up to Jalen Brunson. He's going to get more open looks. Mitchell Robinson has never really played with a good point guard in his career. Um, I think Brunson brings a lot and not just not just his own numbers. I think this is the rare case of the Knicks bringing someone on board who is going to make other people better too. Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, Brunson, you know, I think his passing is a little bit underrated because um, he is kind of a score first player. And I think that was his role, but he's got pretty good vision. Um, He should be one of the Knicks best passers. Um, I'll also say this, right? I think there's been a lot of worry about, you know, what does this mean for Quickly's minutes? Um, but I think, you know, I tweeted about this, but the flip side of that is like, if you look at Jalen Brunson's strengths, he is a guy who is an elite rim finisher, right? Without, um, without, um, 
without being a great athlete, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's very strong, um, yeah, he and he's incredible touch, right? Um, he has the floater. He's smart with angles, and he's got just ridiculous footwork. I actually think quickly is that is the mold I think for quickly to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that was not talked about that much, he got a lot stronger, and you saw towards the end of the year. There were a lot of finishes, a lot of end ones where he would just kind of blow through a dude, right? He would just like mm-hmm. raise his shoulder and like the guy would bounce off him and he'd finish, which is not something we saw from you know very skinny Emmanuel Quickly as a rookie. That's a trademark of Brunson's game. Um, Quickly has the floater. That's he's not at Brunson's level as a floater. I mean, Brunson's really elite at that, but that's part of it, right? So he has that touch. And now what you have to add is kind of that those footworks, those counters, those moves that Brunson has. And I'm not saying he needs to turn into that because Brunson is like an outlier when it comes to that kind of footwork. But just a couple of counters, right? If he can learn from Brunson, uh, you know, how to how to use that craft to be an effective paint finisher, that'll really unlock a lot for quickly because that's really all he's missing on offense at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Brunson unlocks. And then that's without considering that when you do play them together, I know people are concerned about the defense. Um, and we could talk a little bit about that. But when you do play them together, um, you know, they're both really good on and off ball. Brunson is very good at relocations. He moves well without the ball, even though he looks like you think of him as kind of an ISO guy. Um, you know, he's a very smart player. He can cut, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he can direct traffic and he can find guys. So I think him and quickly together, both, you know, driving, cutting, um, relocating, shooting and spacing for each other. I think that's going to work really well. Um, and then the last thing I'll say kind of on the defense, right? Uh, so Ariel Pacheco did a really good thread on Brunson. The one thing he noted is that when it comes to defense, Brunson is pretty smart, and he's actually really good at getting around off-ball screens. So if you put him on mm-hmm. someone like a Duncan Robinson or a Clay Thompson, he can handle those assignments. Where he struggles is against fast, athletic, uh, bigger guards, right? So he's not really a guy you want at the point of attack. Um, and I think that's why him and quickly can actually work, right? Because mm. if Brunson's weakness is point of attack defense, you play him with quickly or Grimes, right? Either of those guys are good point of attack defenders. And then you hide Brunson. I mean, there are some teams that are going to throw two guys out there, like Chicago, right? They're going to have two ball dominant elite you know, creators, right? That might be a situation that gets tough for Brunson. But uh, for most teams, they're going to have one guard who does most of the playmaking and then one who's more of an off ball player. Take Brunson on that guy, and then you have Quicklier Grimes in the other, and, and I think that's that's a pretty solid defensive backcourt. So, let me ask you: We'll talk about the Knicks' other free agent signing in a second, but um, as long as we're discussing potentially tiny backcourts and whether they work defensively, uh, Utah obviously traded Rudy Gobert a few days ago to Minnesota, which some people think means hey, they're going to rebuild around Donovan Mitchell, but which I suspect probably means Mitchell is going to be gone sooner than later. Anytime Donovan Mitchell train talk comes up, we hear about the Knicks. Before even talking about the packages that are being thrown around for for Mitchell, which I think are too expensive for the Knicks, do you think that a Brunson-Mitchell backcourt could work defensively? They're both about 6-1. Brunson is strong. Mitchell, I feel like, projects like he should be a better defender than he is. Um... To me, that seems like a nightmare backcourt. Just however good they may be on offense independently, that's a really tiny backcourt. Do you think that could work defensively over time? As it is, no. Um, yeah. As it is, both are liabilities at the point of attack. Um, Brunson's effort is better, but he, he struggles with on-ball defense. He is good at getting over screens. Um, Mitchell, Mitchell's, I think the best argument in favor of it was... Um, Pres Presidente said this, right? That um, you know, it's this kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to worry too much about the fit between Brunson and Mitchell um, on defense, because the reality is, if you're trading for Mitchell, you have to bank on him um, improving. Like he has to. The phrase that Pres used was he has to unfuck his defense, mm. um, because what happened in the playoffs, what's happened really the last couple of years, is unacceptable from him. Um, regardless of the load that he's carrying. And it's very puzzling because you mentioned, you know, physically, physically as like a 6'10 wingspan, obviously very quick and athletic, big and strong guy. Um, you know, closer to being built like D-Wade than a lot more about a point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and out of college. I mean, he came out of Louisville, which, you know, they run those, you know, with Patino especially, they ran those full-court one-on-one drills. They're famous for just churning out elite, elite uh, man defenders. And that's what Mitchell was in college. That was really, I thought that he was going to be more of a 3 and D type of guy mm. um, who could create and, and get to the rim, like a freak athlete who is an elite defender. But, um, you know, something I think most would have expected him to be better than DeAnthony Melton, but that kind of mold of player, right? That's what I think he looked like in college. And it's been a 180. Now, obviously, you take this outcome over that. But um, but there is a good defender in there. Can he tap into it? Uh, we don't know, right? I mean, we saw Devin Booker improve. We saw Eric Bledsoe was a guy who came out touted as a great defender out of the draft. Uh, and then until he, when he got on winning teams, he started to improve. But that's also a concerning thing because, like, it's not like Mitchell was just on teams where it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, and he, like, he was, like, he has suffered tremendously on defense and has had issues with effort in very big games. And for a guy who is such a, a winning player in many other ways, who, like, makes big plays, who clearly has a great work ethic, it's puzzling. And, you know, you have to do your due diligence. And it, it just doesn't make sense to me that he's not a good defender. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this matters or is fair or not. My brain starts to think like, well, if he struggled that much playing in front of Gobert, wouldn't he be even worse in other places? But then did he take more chances or relax more because he knew Gobert was there? Which doesn't necessarily translate to the yeah, what you want to hear, but do you think there's any point at which him playing in front of Gobert factors into his equation as a positive or negative? Or you think those are those are separate things? I think they're separate things. I think, like, the fact is you're on Utah, which is a contender. Right. And we know that you're really, like, we see him on offense. He doesn't take plays off. He moves well without the ball. Um, on on defense, you have to be locked in. That's just a fact. And we saw it from Steph Curry, right? Uh, Steph doesn't have close to Mitchell's physical talent, but he holds up well there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think, I think that when you have someone, like, if I saw him being more aggressive, um, and that was what was causing issues because of Gobert. I would that would be encouraging. But if it's just I'm not going to play as hard because Rudy's behind me, I, I, I just don't see that. And not in the playoffs, right? People don't think like that in the playoffs. And um, yeah. So that said, Mitchell's still only what 25 somewhere. Yeah, he's in that good range. Uh-huh. Yeah, so he's only he's only 25 years old. So there's time. Um, he compares, you know, by advanced stats or how he's you know progressed he compares favorably to guys like Damian Lillard at the same age um so you know yeah that's that, I mean if, if the defense becomes less of a concern I think his passing is underrated um I think he's more than capable of being of leading an offense but um yeah it's it, no matter what the defense has to at least get to neutral um so speaking of youth in addition to Brunson, who doesn't turn 26 until, I think, August, uh, the next other big free agent acquisition, obviously they also retained Mitchell Robinson, but they signed Isaiah Hartenstein from the Clippers, 23-year-old seven-footer, um, to a two-year $16 million deal. Hartenstein is an interesting player. Um, he's a legit big seven-foot 250. Um, he's... A little hard to project because his first, I think, three years in the league, he took. I'm just double check. It was three or four. His first three or four years, he took 17 three pointers combined, and then last year he took 30, and he basically hit half of them. He hit 14 of 30. So he seems like, hey, three and D center, um, very good per 36 numbers for rebounds and block shots. He can protect the rim. Uh, he can certainly stretch the floor more than Nick Centers in past years have, Nerlens Noel, um, more than Sims, more than Mitch. But what I did not know um, until I started reading and hearing more about him that's very intriguing is that it sounds like Hartenstein is a really effective, interesting, and intelligent passer. Um, and the Knicks, that's a skill that I always feel like the Knicks can use more of. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm unusually excited about a backup center who may not play even 20 minutes a game, but I'm very excited to see how Hartenstein looks. Yeah. Um, the last big who I remember being a really good passer um, was uh, Paolo Quinn. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he had kind of that type of game, right? You could invert the offense. Kylo Quinn did have a little bit of a jump shot. Um, I remember kind of a, a side note. Uh, I met Kylo Quinn at, at kind of a promo thing. And um, he, um, you know, I told him, are you, I asked him, are you going to shoot more threes this year? And he's like, man, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, Hartenstein's a true seven-footer. He's also an elite rim protector, um, you know, in terms of just what opponents shot against him. He was he was terrific at that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think the passing is very interesting um, because he can throw guys open. He can see two steps ahead of cutters. He, you, he's the guy you love to invert your offense on. And that second unit, you look at quickly, you look at Obi, you look at Grimes. These are excellent guys in moving without the ball. I mean, a, a Hardenstein-Obi frontcourt, Man, that 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 the passing possibilities there are very interesting. Mm-hmm. And as as many good passers are, Hartenstein because he Hartenstein, I should say, because he does see those angles. He also has an intuitive uh, understanding of where to be. Right, so it's not just that he can mm-hmm. find open players, but he knows how to make himself available and how to move without the ball. So he should, and I think that. Um, so I think that helps. I think his weaknesses. He's not particularly mobile. Uh, he's not a guy. I mean, he's pretty much strictly a drop defender, mm. um, and he's not a great rebounder. That is kind of weird because he's big, he's smart. I don't think his box out technique is particularly bad. The Clippers, I think, were overall a pretty bad rebounding team, but that's something to monitor. But I think um, the important thing is that the Knicks had te- uh, Nerlens Noel for ten million last year, and they had Mitchell Robinson, right? So I think there are some people. Um, and very smart people I respect who are a little bit nervous about the Knicks investing now, it looks like $23 million a year uh, at the center position. Um, you know, and, and it's not like, you know, you have a, a Nikola Jokic or, or someone like that. But I think what's important and better about this than kind of the Mitch or Noel pairing is that now you have centers with complementary skill set. No one's Noel gave them a little bit more. He was a little bit more mobile on the perimeter, so you could do some more things on defense. But especially on offense, generally it was the same thing, right? Uh, a, a rim-running guy. Um, and in Noel's case, he didn't have great hands. Um, but it's a very Hart- generous I, way of saying it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I do think they kind of – I think t- – Tibbs does like three centers, especially those that can give him different looks, right? Taj has been kind of that offensive guy. Yep. But obviously Taj is diminishing a little bit. So now you have you have your your starting center, Mitch, who we know what he does well. Elite rim protector, elite rebounder. Um, I think that he'll get a little bit more agility back now that he's kind of used to the weight gain. Um, but probably your best defensive center and rebounder. Uh, and who's going to handle the, the big matchups, right? We know his limitations, probably never going to be much more than a, than a dunker on offense, um, isn't the most switchable guy at this point. Um, but then now you have now you have a different look, right? Um, against certain centers, maybe bigger guys, or maybe against teams where, uh, you know, they have really good defenders and we need to pull some of the rim protectors away. Um, you know, maybe you throw in Hartenstein or, uh, you know, or Mitch is in tr- foul trouble. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you have a situation in which the team is goes five out. They're just all really quick, small ball, you know, something like Chicago. Maybe that's when you go with Jericho Sims, right? Mm-hmm. But the point is they have these options. And, you know, for all of, you know, the criticism about how st- stubborn Tibbs can get, I think with the centers, he has a little bit more idea of how to, how to be flexible with them and, and play to their strengths. Um, if he could do that with Obi, that would be great too. Uh, and I, I do get that people with these signings now are thinking, is Obi ever going to get to play center? But um, but I think the the they had they now ha- not only have depth at center, but they have versatility. So yes, and I wonder this maybe the optimist in me, but I wonder if um, Thibodeau getting the chance to work now with Hartenstein might open his eyes up to more possibilities for Toppin or Randall. They're not the same players, but having a five who can who can shoot, I know Tibbs' concern is rim protecting. It's not offense, but I just wonder if if maybe as he uses Hartenstein more and just opens his mind to more possibilities from your big combinations, like I wonder if that might you know if it'll be like a gateway yeah, a gateway drug to him considering like Toppin at center or Randall at center. I'm not so sure that he is bigs are only for rim protection. I think that is his priority. But there was a guy named Joe Kim Noah who 
Tibbs made the 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 feature point of his offense, right? Now, that was after Rose got hurt. People will say, well, Tibbs only does that when he's desperate. But he's been happy to let Taj freelance, right? Yep. Um, you know, Mitchell Robinson hasn't developed a game. Um, he didn't really put any shackles on Cat. Cat is a generational offensive player. But mm-hmm. um, I'm not so sure that Tibbs has a problem um, with, with you know, running your offense through bigs. And I think Hartenstein will get that freedom. Uh, I think that's something Tibbs might even lean into, you know, posting up um, Hartenstein, maybe running some horn sets or some high-low with... I mean, high-low with Obi and Hartenstein has some awesome <laughs> possibilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's more just simply he doesn't trust Obi and Randall together. And there are times when I wonder how much of that is because of Randall and how much is because of Obi. Um, mm-hmm. That's a fair question. Mm. Speaking of... Free agency, the Knicks' last signing, as we said, not an acquisition, but an interesting retention. Mitchell Robinson will be returning to the Knicks, looks like on a four-year, I think $60 million deal. Um, I was admittedly, openly, 100% ambivalent about Mitch. Um, If they had drafted one of the other centers, I would have been like, okay. And keeping Mitch, I'm happy, because I think continuity is a good thing. And I think what Robinson can do um, not only on defense and rim running, but I think as an offensive rebounder, he's really come along nicely. I think he's a he's a fine center. Um, I don't think the price was exorbitant, so I'm I'm okay with Mitch being back. And I think I'm actually better than I would have been if they had gone in some other directions. Miles um, Turner, for example, is obviously a great um, shot blocker and a much better shooter, but his rebounding kind of concerns me and and. I don't know. Are you? What are your feelings on the Knicks bringing Mitch back? Um, I it's a couple million more than I probably would have been ideal. I think four for fifty-two would have been ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, and I think that um, the you know, I, I think that there are flaws. Um, but I think it's it, here's the th- here's the thing. I think that there are two centers who are elite difference makers, um, right? Um, and if you don't have one of those guys, there's been a lot of talk about you know Robert Williams, Jared Allen. That's that next tier, DeAndre Ayton. Um, and I probably would be willing to pay for one of them. To, you know, twenty million dollars. Right. Below that, though. Um, you're not going to do that much better than like, what do you really want from that position? Right. The thing is like, if you're not featuring the guy a ton on offense, the value of post offense, like, yeah, we'd all love it. If Mitch could take the ball, you know, on a short roll um, and, you know, like put the ball, take one dribble, make a pass, which by the way, Hartenstein is a lead at. And I think that'll be a good added dimension. But in terms of the main value proposition, it's still rim protection and rebounding. Those are the main purposes that your centers, um, Phil, uh, and ideally you'd like them to be able to, whenever they do, you know, if your guards can set them up, you want them to be able to finish everything they get. He does those things mm-hmm. um, at a pretty high level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 15 is the upper range of what you would pay to keep those things. Yeah. But it is in that range. And the other thing I'll say is I think someone, um, someone was saying, well, the Knicks could have just taken Duran, right? And you know, save uh, all this money, um, you know, you save, save $15 million. The question then is, so would you rather have, or it wouldn't be, it would have been like um, 10 or $11 million in savings, right? right. Um, would you rather have 10 or, because I, I think that if they had taken Durant, they still would have signed Hartenstein. I think one, they just love the value. Mm-hmm. And two, they, they weren't going to let just a rookie be the, the main guy. Mm-hmm. So would you rather have those $10, $11 million of cap space or would you rather have the picks the Knicks got? When you put it like that, I don't think it's even close, right? Yeah. Those picks can be used in a lot more of a trade um, as opposed to using it on a center whose value you can probably get elsewhere, right? So um, I think overall, the Mitch signing, like it's not exactly what I'm going to call a steal of a contract, but he's undervalued by a lot of Knicks fans who like are obsessed with bigs needing to be able to post up and do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they undervalue the fact that the, the few things that he does are the most important things for centers to do, and he's really good at them. 
I would be remiss if I did not bring up the fact that there was some news with the Knicks' noisy neighbors this week um, where the Brooklyn Nets and the blueprint for greatness 2.0 um, very much went the way the, the blueprint for greatness 1.0 went, which is nowhere. Um, Kyrie Irving <laughs> Kyrie Irving got permission to seek a sign-and-trade, discovered really nobody wanted him besides the Lakers, which would involve a $30 million pay cut. So then he announced, not to the Nets, but to Twitter, that while normal people make the world um, go, different people are the ones who lead it in new directions. And Kyrie Irving is a very different person, so he opted in to his $37 million contract, a very radical move. And then Kevin Durant looked at all that and said, you know what, peace, I'm out. <laughs> and now the league is pretty much turned on its head while we wait to see what happens with those two players. Um, first, I just want to say a large and collective eat a bag of dicks to everyone who was trumpeting this seismic shift in New York City basketball three years ago. Can you imagine the radioactivity of this story if it was happening to the Knicks? Like, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal either way. It's happening to the Nets. It's still a big deal. But if this were the Knicks, <coughs> holy shit. The, the, I, the Isolas... And Bondies and everybody who would be jumping out of the woodwork, the national people, I am almost sexually satisfied by how good this penance is. And it's not all the Nets. I love, like, I want to be very clear about this. Steve Nash was my favorite non Nick probably ever growing up. I love Steve Nash. Um, I don't have any problems with Sean Marks. Um, I don't care for Joe size politics, but I can say that of any owner. Um, I don't hate, you know, really most of the net players, if any of that, I don't really hate them. Um, but there's that portion of dicks who just, yeah. you know, so I want to know, I, I think I literally squealed when I first saw the, the Katie wants to trade thing. Um, did you see that coming? Cause I did not. No, I didn't. I mean, it's just been, it's been a crazy week. Um, It was, um, you know, first of all, uh, five minutes before that, Royce, very strange trade happened. Very strange. Only Nets fans and Jazz fans probably know about it. Do do you have your Uh, fingers up in the air while you're doing (laughs) it? (laughs) Um, So I have Nets fans friends in real life. Some of them follow me on Twitter and I think they have, and like, they're like, you know, we're not like this. Like, you take out all of your anger on Nets fans. And and I think that the majority of people I know are, are reasonable basketball people, right? They live in Brooklyn, whatever. Like, it's fine. Um, but you're right. There is that segment of Twitter. Um, or then people are like, who moves to New York? It's like, I wanted to adopt a New York team. I, I had a friend who was like, um, you know, she was from Seattle, so they didn't have a team. So besides hating the Thunder, she didn't really have... <laughs> basketball allegiance and right. she came there and she was like encouraging people like you should do for the nets you know the nets are kind of the new thing new york is just like and it's just like i, I it just rubbed me the wrong way right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and then the whole like i i think we should be able to be happy for the nets right if the nets you know i think in a perfect world but then you have this howard beck writing they're taking over the city they're doing all of this it's like yeah. relax bro you know yeah. i i never hated the nets i i rooted for the nets in the finals i rooted for the kid and and mince carter teams hmm. um i liked them um growing mm-hmm. up um because i saw them as like you know they're not boston where we hate them yeah if the knicks aren't doing anything and they're not actively in conflict why not right um so yeah was i thrilled yeah absolutely um but i was thrilled more towards the espn element the nets i mean and then yeah. you look at someone like like nets daily right i'm gonna call them out not them. Like I think there's good writers on that staff, um, but net income, right? He made his entire personality about trying to to Trolling talk about the Knicks ratings and shit like that. Yep. Um, do I have a 
an ounce of sympathy or empathy for those people? No, I, I laughed. I, I recorded our reaction for Bleach. I just <laughs> laughed as hard as I could at them, at Max Kellerman, at ESPN, yeah, um, you know, everyone who, who hopped on. Um, and it's worth noting that it's, it's fair to suggest that, you know, they cleared this cap space for these, these players. And maybe the fact that they're unpredictable and, um, those kind of players, as opposed to, to, to guys, to other players, to other players who have that level of talent, maybe that's part of the reason that Nets were able to get them. Um, but if you don't want to go that far, the last thing I'll say is this, um, to, to be honest, I, I, the one thing, I'm not going to clown Sean Marks. There's people who say, well, you have to manage personalities and all of that. But I think that once you get to the level where they got, they made the right moves, right? They didn't have any picks. They took on contracts. They got assets. They slowly got better. They built a good culture, which I do think was real. Um, you know, they, they played really hard even when they didn't have talent. Yeah. They did a savvy move for D'Lo, got them some star power, and they improved. You know, they found guys like Joe Harris. And... Um, but then once you have that, you can't just – the thing is this, like if you have the opportunity to get two max guys, you, ha- you have to take it. You're not allowed to just keep doing that forever. I think the only team that got away with it was Toronto, and even they were criticized for it, right, mm-hmm. um, until they were able to get Kawhi. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's where, that's where he really – you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. So they had to kind of trade for – they had to make that happen, uh, even after Katie got hurt. And I think like – the regrets are like, you know, when I talk to my friends that are Nets fans, some of them say, you know, like, yeah, like, I'm happy we have the star power. But, you know, when we were up and coming and, you know, we had Dinwiddie, um, you know, you had you know, Harris, you had all these guys. Karis LeVert. Uh, Karis LeVert, right? They weren't a great team, but they were up. They played hard. Uh, they were improving all the time. And... And now, you know, they had this, even even before the trade demands, right? You had the circus with James Harden. You had the circus with Kyrie. Mm-hmm. Um, Katie has actually been the least dramatic and the one who, like, shows up and plays well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that if there's anyone he should be pissed at, I think it is Kyrie Irving. <laughs> but he's taken out that anger on the Nets front office, which, whatever. But, um, you know, I, I do feel for fans, and I think that's worth noting for Knicks fans, like, and worth understanding that maybe there's maybe that that doesn't mean that just roll with the young guys and keep doing that forever is the right call. But I will say that when you had games like last year, you know there was that thirty six to four run they had against the Clippers. There was that comeback against the Heat. When you see our our young guys, our internally developed guys, um, you know winning like that, enjoy that because one day you know if and when we get the superstars that everyone's you know clamoring over. Mm-hmm. The expectations are going to be higher, and everything is going to be under a mic magnifying glass. And when it doesn't work out, it's just not going to be as fun. Mm-hmm. And when it does work out, it'll be a lot of fun. So I'm not saying we shouldn't go after stars, but um, you know, you shouldn't take these days for granted either. When we just have a bunch of competent, young, homegrown players that are that play their asses off. A lot of Knicks fans may be too young to remember this, but when the Knicks are good, your emotional state basically spreads to a dichotomy of either like extreme joy or total misery. Like when they're good and they're expected to do something, you're either elated that it happens or you are like sunk that it didn't. I loved 2013 and 2021 because I mean, it's like messing the Yankees. Like the Yankees are much better, but they never know the joy of a season. Like when the Mets have, you know, a team that gets the world series, same thing with the Knicks and competing. Like, I look forward to them being sustainably good, but I do enjoy, like, 2021 was a very nice, like, just, I felt like it was nothing, until the playoffs that year was nothing but happy, like, nothing but positive. It was just good, 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 good. Um, So, I am struck by a couple things with the Katie Kyrie um, turnaround. One of them is, I wonder for the future of the league if this will have any impact on teams. I felt like there was kind of a a constant momentum moving in the direction of um, player power and more player involvement in personnel moves, which I'm fine with. I have no problem with that. But I wonder, you know, I remember when LeBron left Miami, before he left, he really talked up like Shabazz Napier as like just the guy to draft, like awesome collegiate. And he drafted Napier. And LeBron left anyway. 
Durant and Kyrie were joining a net team that had a future all-star center in Jared Allen, and they wanted their boy, DeAndre Jordan, who was already, you know, had one foot kind of in the grave. They wanted him as their center, and he got a four-year, $40 million that nobody on earth was going to give him, and that was a terrible mistake. It was a terrible, terrible move for them. I wonder if Katie and Kyrie, you know, how are they going to be now going presumably to franchises where they won't have as much clout as they did in Brooklyn because they're not coming in together as a package deal. And I don't know. I just don't know. Certainly Kyrie, I don't think, has that clout coming in. But I wonder if Durant goes to Phoenix, like, that's not his organization. They're not the Nets. They're not, like, desperate and pathetic without him. Obviously, they're they're better with him. But um, I wonder how that's going to be. You know, I wonder, it's hard to go from people catering to everything you do to not doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think in Durant's case, I don't think it'll be an issue because I don't actually think he wants that. I don't think he's ever wanted. I, I think that that's just a fundamental difference between these other players and him. And I'm not talking about leadership ability, but I think he really just wants to hoop and he wants to win. And um, and that's pretty much it. Um, and I, I can't blame him for that. But I don't think, like, if you notice all the quotes about, you know, for the most part, the quotes were just like, we don't really have a head coach. We're kind of yeah. a shared thing. I think 90% of those were coming from Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so, I mean, I think, like, who knows exactly why Durant left Golden State. It might have been the perception that it was in his team. But I don't think there were ever issues with him not feeling like he had input with the front office, right? It was probably, if anything, more of a star power thing. Mm-hmm. I Like, if he goes to Phoenix, I think he'll be fine. Um, he'll be fine kind of letting Chris Paul be the leader, and just being the best basketball player he can be. I think if he goes back to Golden State and takes over his old role, he'll be fine doing that. Uh, I have no reason to believe LA has a package that would come remotely close to being able to get it done, but he wouldn't mind. And I, I don't mean taking a backseat to LeBron, but I'm just saying, like, you know what I mean? Like what you were saying with kind of the leverage. I don't think he really, I just think he wants to be on a good team and win and play winning basketball. Um, and I think he blames the Nets organization for not allowing him to do that. Um, and I think I think he has, it appears somewhat, whether misplaced or blind, I'm not going to comment on that, but he has some loyalty to Kyrie that's, that's mm. causing a lot of this. Uh, it's Kyrie, I think, that who knows, you know? Would he want to, if he goes back to LA, he has to be able to accept that, right? He left LeBron before and not in necessarily the best way. I think that bridge has been repaired. Um, but he's also, I mean, there's a few things. One, you're going to a historic organization that isn't going to put up with your bullshit, right? This isn't a team that's trying to build out its fan base like the Nets. Right. This is arguably the most iconic franchise. Um, I mean, maybe in American sports. Um, right there. Yeah. So, um, if he goes to the Lakers, which it looks like that's going to happen, they're not putting up with that. Um, if he goes to Dallas, you're not the best player on the team either there. Mm-hmm. Um, that is an ownership group that has had some weird issues with some of their stars, but I also think it's a veteran. It's a veteran owner, um, veteran staff. Uh, Kid, I think, is not going to be a pushover the way maybe. Or I don't want to comment on Nash like that, but I think Kid is going to have the ability to to um, impose his will on Kyrie. Yeah. Uh, the question is, what does Kyrie want? <laughs> does he want to go back to the role he had in Cleveland? Does he want to be? And I mean, I think what does Kyrie want? If anyone had the answers to that question, we're probably not in this situation. So, yeah. Last question on the last question for the show is is I think a collision of of expectation and reality. There's been a lot of talk in light of the um, Dejounte Murray trade and the package that the Spurs got back from Atlanta, as well as what Utah was able to get from Minnesota for Gobert. So there's this, there's this obvious conclusion that, well, the Nets are going to trade Durant. He's obviously worth more because he's a better player. He's at the beginning of a four-year deal. Um, so whatever those trade halls were, obviously Brooklyn should get more for this. I'm not confident that Durant or Kyrie have nearly the power um, to, to really 
pull off whatever they want here because Durant, I'm assuming, is only going to go to a contender. Like, he wants to go somewhere where he can play for a title. The number of teams who are title contenders, even after they trade whatever it will take to get Kevin Durant, is not a big list at all. Um, And you do have him for four years, but you have him for four years at, I think, $49.5 average per year. And he turns 34 this season. The contract carries him through his age 37 season. How many teams in the league are ponying up one or more? Because I read somewhere, I think, in the Athletic that the Nets want two young All-Stars, under two, two All-Star or future All-Stars under 25, and then, you know, an infinitude of picks and pick swaps. Who's the team out there that can do that? I, I can't, I mean, Miami doesn't have all that to give away. Um... I don't know if Phoenix does, um, because I don't know how interested in Aiton the Nets even are. And if you take him off, the Suns are in their bridges. Those are the guys that would be in theory. Who else? Uh, Mikhail Bridges. I thought you said someone in Bridges. Yeah, Aiton and Bridges. Oh, yeah. So I'm saying if if they don't want if they don't want Aiton, Bridges is not getting the needle moving, and the Suns aren't going to trade Booker. Uh, The Heat can't trade out of Bio. I don't, I can't imagine them trading Jimmy Butler for a Durant deal. Plus, I can't imagine the Nets would care. Um, I mean, the Nets have three players with a presumed enormous return value, but for different reasons. Durant, Katie, and and possibly someday Benson. I'm not sure any of those guys can get back what they think that they can get back. Kyrie's got a year left, and everybody knows. He wants out, and they want to get rid of him. I mean, when you're linked in a deal for Russell Westbrook, your value is not. I don't know. I I don't. I'm it's not. Not just that. Also, it's can he be relied on? I mean, yeah. This year was the vax the vaccine stuff, but is is that was that really the thing, or is it more about? Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to be able. to – I think he has this thing where I want to be able to play and show up when I want to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, which honestly, I respect that. I, mean, I respect that. Yeah, like, I mean, that's how we we could do that at our job. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and I think more people should be able to, but that's a, that's a conversation mm-hmm. for another day. Agreed. Um, but the fact is you're, they're paying this much money. They want someone who they're going to be able to rely on because other players who get paid like that um, are showing up every day, right? So um, it's it's tough. Uh, listen, I think that as a result, there I don't think it's tough to just even fathom a player like Kevin Durant being available. Um, yeah. So it's just very difficult to to think about what's fair return. Um, it's just, it's on a completely different dimension. Um, I think what's more likely, I think, is this, right? Um, Kyrie opted in. So you get them both in a room and say, look, wherever you guys go, unless we send you to Phoenix, Durant, it's not like you're gonna. There's too many places where you're gonna have a better chance to win a title than you did here, mm-hmm. um, especially if you know you guys work it out. Um, you know, we'll, we we got you, Royce O'Neal, solid defender. Um, you know, we still had a lot of talent last year. Um, this, you know, this can work, and then we'll take one last run. And Kyrie, you want to leave at this point? Losing you for nothing is not that much worse than uh, right. Westbrook, if, if that's all we're getting, mm-hmm. you know, then I would rather just hold on to you and let's take one more shot with with KD. And you know, now will they will they have to roll back on you know things they were saying about you know we're not going to succumb to anyone's demands? Like they have to be part of the culture here and all that. They'll have to walk back some of that. Mm-hmm. But if they win a title this year and then they lose Kyrie and they have to trade Durant. Um, that will not, it's not like that, that'll still be looked on as a success, or at least, you know, some people will be like, well, they could have won five or 10 rings. That's, I don't think that's, that's still a success if they can turn it into a ring this year. Mm-hmm. And then they say, Katie, next year, we'll trade you then. The risk of course is that Katie's value diminishes over the next year. Um, but I, I just don't, um, the, the uh, Phoenix makes the most sense to me just because if they can hold on to 
Booker and Paul, even if they do have to get rid of Bridges and or Aiton, mm-hmm. Aiton's probably gone no matter what. Um, if they can do it and maintain Bridges, they have to do it. My guess is they'd probably either have to send a million picks and Aiton uh, or get a third team involved if the Nets aren't too interested. Or they would have to send both Bridges and Aiton. Mm-hmm. Even if they have to send both Bridges and Aiton, a team with Paul, Booker, and and Durant is a title maybe a title favorite. Uh, I don't know what happened to Phoenix in Game 7 this year, but they clearly are one of the two or three best teams in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, that So they, for them, it could be worth it, um, especially if they can get a third team involved. If they are sending Michael Bridges, Mikhail Bridges out, I would love for the Knicks to get involved because he's exactly the type of player, I think, Yes, that I'd like to add. But if it doesn't happen with Phoenix, I don't see another team having the cachet. <coughs> the one other wild card is if Durant demands this team, which does have a couple of young players, uh, one of whom does have to get paid, but there's some recent high draft picks that they've had and that hasn't been afraid to kind of to, to, to trade draft picks, and that's the Golden State Warriors. Hmm. If KD really, you know, could, could something like Moody, Kuminga, pool and like a bunch of picks get it done and then you know you lose pool you lose i think golden state has wanted to build for two timelines but the opportunity to send curry out with a couple more rings playing next to kevin durant might be too much to pass up um but besides golden state and phoenix um and then the third team is toronto um where you know in that toronto they it's basically are they willing to part with scotty barnes I'm not sure Masai Ujiri is, especially for a player. I don't think this is the case where, um, you know, he won his ring, so there's less pressure, right? This isn't like Kawhi becoming available because then the pressure was on, the clock was ticking on Lowry, uh, and that team had clearly reached its ceiling. Mm -hmm. This is Now he has the flexibility where he has a bunch of young players, um, and, um, you know, he doesn't have, I don't think the clock is ticking the same way. It's, I mean... Sure, Van Vliet is getting older, but he's still in his upper twenties, and he has a few mm-hmm. years left. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he is. Uh, you, know, you know, you have Barnes, you have um, Siakam is still young, so you have time. I don't think you need to put to push in all of that. And the other complication is that OG Ananobi has asked for a trade. So if the Nets are interested in Ananobi as the centerpiece of the deal, maybe it works out. But they're not trading. I don't think they would want to trade. Barnes and also lose Ananobi, right? Because then you're starting to get yeah, yeah. death. And, and Kevin Durant might be the one player you do that for. But because of the Ananobi situation, that does feel a little bit weird to me. But aside from those three teams, and I think there's reasons to believe in all three cases it might not work out, um, I don't think there's really a place. So if I, if I was a betting man, I think Brooklyn gives it one last go still mm. uh, with the with the two of them. We will see. Um, I'm sure the next time that we all meet, there will be some advancements in the story, so keep your eyes and ears open. Um, and maybe the Knicks will make a move in that time also. Whether they do or they don't, we will be back um, in the near future to meet with you again. So for Matthew Miranda and Stacey Patton, thank you everybody again for listening, and we will see you when we see you. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.